Welcome to The Buyer's Desk, an infra podcast. We'll guide you through quick snapshots on infra trends and insights, interviews with member store buyers and brand founders, and we have curated segments from infra staff. Hey folks, and thanks for joining us for our first episode of the Infra Buyer's Desk. I am Chris Sorensen, Promotions Program Manager. And I am Angela Bozo, Director of Member Programs. And we are your hosts. I am incredibly excited to be here with you today, Chris. And I'm hoping maybe we could kick off this inaugural episode with a little bit about why we're here. Yeah, I would love to. What, what, what do you have in mind? Well, I can distinctly remember getting a phone call from you back in March and you pitching me, you know, Angela, I feel like we really need a platform to talk to grocery buyers about insights and I don't know, all the things. Maybe you tell it better than I do. Yeah, I I think uh, I started here as a category manager and after working in retail for many years and meeting with brands and talking to a lot of these founders, like I I never had that connection uh, working on the sales floor as I did meeting with all of these brands and brand founders. And and I was like, if some of these conversations that I was having, if I could translate this to the people in the stores, that would be awesome. And and, and also coming new to Infra, I didn't know a lot of the members at first. So I was like, I would love to have an avenue where I could just hear from members. When we had the people applying for the board of directors, um, I got to watch all of those videos and I was like, this is fascinating. I really got to know people. And so I was like, what if we could do something with brands and with members and incorporate kind of everybody in this industry and just have a podcast that really doesn't exist out there right now. Everything is really like CPG brand focused, but there's nothing for the retailer. No, I love this. And you actually caught me while I was at an infra event where it was like members connecting with other members and sharing insights. And I had this moment of like, oh my gosh, absolutely. Like for anybody that couldn't be at an event like this or just, you know, members talking to members is like insightful gold. Like Talking to your retail peers is, I mean, there's just, there's nothing better really. So I was on board pretty much immediately and super excited to get this going. Yeah. And I think the the fun thing about it is we're both grocery geeks, right? We like to nerd out about merchandising. We've we've both had positions similar to that. So how can we facilitate that conversation of grocery folks, whether it's through even produce, some of the center store folks, people around in some of the other perimeter departments, how can we kind of connect everyone to the, this common theme and common goal of just connecting with each other? And and me, I think also being a podcast nerd as well, um, you know, I love listening to Adam Grant's podcast, Brene Brown's and Simon Sinek's. Um, and then there's some other ones out there that are very food focused that are also interesting that I've dabbled in. Uh, what about you? You listen to podcasts too, right? Uh, definitely. I Obviously, I mean, I kicked off with let's start with our why out of just sheer deference to my friend, not really my friend, but Simon Sinek and sheer love of his podcast. I know we share a love of Adam Grant. Some of the food podcasts, I don't really know like what's super popular out there. I love Green Eggs and Dan, if anybody's listened to that one, where he has celebrities go through their refrigerators and say what they're eating. And of course, grocery nerd that I am, I love it when they call out brands as well. So yeah, it was definitely a mixture of loving podcasts, loving grocery insight. And then I think where we ended up landing, you and I was like, we have all these ideas and so many brands and infra staff and members we can talk to. Like, how are we going to figure this out thematically? That's a good segue to the the great show we actually have lined up for today for our first episode. You know, we have some conversations from, from members, so you, you'll dig into that a little bit more. 
Uh, I was able to have a pretty good conversation with uh, Denise, the founder of Partake. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. Um, and then I had a really good conversation with two of my colleagues on the purchasing team, uh, both Andy and Kate. So, so that was a lot of fun. And really what everyone ended up talking about um, was their experience through the pandemic. I mean, we're dealing with supply chain issues. We're still dealing with the effects of the pandemic. So what better theme for us to really talk about persevering through the pandemic, right? Oh my gosh, absolutely. I mean, I keep joking about, well, when are we going to stop using 2019 as our benchmark? You know, when are we going to, when are we going to think about like what really happened over the last now almost three years and, you know, quantify that real effect on our industry? And I don't know that we're there yet, but I love that we can have conversations about what we did, what we're doing and how pretty much everybody is both sick of the word pivot and continues to pivot. Yep. It's just a part of our reality. <laughs> um, so why don't you, why don't you let us know what we have coming up uh, here for our first few segments? Awesome. So our first segment is going to be with Jim Olson. He is the Spins Infra Account Manager. He is uh, insightful and incredible, just like a great resource all around. Uh, you know, Spins has been backing up grocery with data science for almost 20 years now. And uh, Jim gives us this really great overview of what happened in 2022 and what he thinks might happen in 2023. And I don't know, Chris, what was it? Three to four short minutes. Pretty rad. Yeah, I, lo I love it. It's very quick, but just packed full of data. So I think people will really enjoy that. Listen to it a couple times. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And then um, I am thrilled with our first grocery interview. I uh, spoke to Thomas Barstow. He is the natural foods director at Guido's Fresh Marketplace. And uh, he just, I mean, I... I'm going to stumble over my words as I tell you that he just sheer insights per minute. I was blown away. He talks pandemic. He talks shift to category management. I don't want to ruin it because it's coming right up. But uh, just loved that interview. And I know we ended up having divided into two segments because it was so much more content than we were expecting. But we just wanted to make sure that everybody could experience it all. So I guess without further ado, I'm going to kick it over to Jim Olson and uh, enjoy his segment. Hello, I'm Jim Olson, SPIN's Retail Insights Manager, with a look at the latest trends and sales impacting our industry. Please come join me in looking back at the big product storylines from 2022 and shine up our crystal ball to see what's in store for 2023. Overall, the natural products industry remains in a great spot. Adoption of natural products grew tremendously during the pandemic. We don't anticipate consumers to trade down from healthy options going forward. We also see consumer packaged goods themselves responding reflexively. Of the roughly 3,600 new brands introduced in 2022, over 62% had a health and wellness focus. One of the single biggest growth areas of the past year was in supplements, a segment that's had double-digit growth during the pandemic and remained strong throughout this past year as well. Products that treated experiential conditions such as stress, anxiety, depression, and insomnia saw growth between 30 and 40%. Another area of growth centered on wellness benefit ingredients, such as collagen, prebiotics, and adaptogens, all seeing double-digit growth. Consumers are no longer focusing on products that just take the bad out, but have moved on to products that put the good in. Finally, consumers have expanded the perspective to consider the health of the planet, not just health of their own bodies. Meat and dairy brands who focused on sustainability and ethical practices were rewarded in kind with increased sales. This includes products with label claims such as animal welfare, grass-fed, cage-free, and pasture-raised. Shifting focus now to 2023, Plant Forward 
not just plant-based, will be the new tactic. Brands like Eat the Change and Atlantic Sea Farms have loud and proud packaging touting their veggie bona fides. Another packaging trend to look for is sustainable messaging, where the product's package itself telling the consumer exactly what they're doing to positively affect the environment. Neutral Foods and GoodSam are excellent examples of this. Finally, look for more brands to offer retailers and consumers a path towards supporting diversity by stocking and elevating items loved by cultural communities. Think Fila Manila's banana ketchup, a condiment beloved by the Filipino community, or AO Foods' West African flavor focus, founded by a former Spins employee. My thanks to Spins and our friends at New Hope Network for some of the statistics stated previously. I wish you all luck, and may you have a very prosperous 2023. I'd like to welcome Thomas Barstow, Natural Food Director from Guido's Fresh Marketplace in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, to chat with us today about his buying strategies. Uh, Thomas, if you wouldn't mind, would you start off with a brief description of your position? Thanks, Angela. It's good to be with you. So I'm the natural foods director here. Basically means I'm in charge of overseeing the center store product selection as well as the pricing. And that also includes for us frozen dairy wellness and bulk. You know, I have to tell you, one of the reasons I was excited to talk to you today is that you are one of the few grocery directors in our database that actually has natural in your title. Were you hired with that position like that? No, actually at Guido's, we started as a produce farm stand. So the natural food department actually sprung up organically in the original sense of the word. We were a produce store and natural foods was a piece of it, but we're really a double-breasted company, specialty and natural foods. You could call my department the grocery department, but it sort of started as a natural foods department. We started as local honey and jams almost 50 years ago. The name stuck. So it's a natural food department. I like it. Now, are your sets integrated where the natural foods are sitting right next to the more conventional options? Or do you guys keep the natural sets more separate? Yeah, it's it's integrated. It, as we've remodeled our two stores over the years, we do try to differentiate certain departments, particularly calling out wellness with, with different lighting, different flooring, different shelf styles. Try to do a fair amount of cross-merchandising and integration, make it a fun journey for the customers through our stores. I love it. I also love that, like, just your title alone and the way that your company looks at it is pretty innovative. But would you tell me how you've innovated within your organization as a buyer specifically? Um, I would say COVID was sort of forced innovation. We are strong in a way because we have quite a few distributors. So some of those have strong relationships to uh, local restaurants. So we were able to get flour, get um, yeast, cornstarch, toilet paper and, and, and tissue paper. So we started taking that stuff in bulk and food service and packaging it up ourselves. So we had toilet paper when the big box stores next to us didn't. Same thing with yeast and flour. So those are critical and they got more people in the doors that didn't want to come in, into our store um, beforehand. So that, that really was an extra boost through that tough couple of years. Other innovations, as we have grown, it's been difficult for me to be intimate with 9,500 different SKUs. So over the last two years, we've created category managers. So a little bit of a painful growth period. It's been wonderful in, in most ways. It, it hasn't lived up to every aspect of what we hope they would do in terms of competitor analyses and deeper market analyses. But now we have four of them. One is frozen. One is the breakfast category. 
we have the specialty category and the baking category, and they make decisions for product procurement for both stores. And they make sure that we're price aligned at our, at our two stores. So it's, it's been much more efficient that way. We used to have a pool of, of folks that had a lot of autonomy. And as we grew, we realized that we needed fewer cooks in the kitchen, other innovations, just how we communicate. When you go from a company that has 40 employees to, to several hundred, you can't communicate the same way. So we have to create some structure, make sure our, our emails are for imparting data, not for dialogue, and how many meetings we have, how it's structured, and does everyone have a voice up and down the levels of, of uh, hierarchy? and just try and stay innovative in what our store looks like, the customer experience. I love that. I love we just cannot talk about the pandemic as grocers without referencing toilet paper. So I appreciate you bringing that reference <laughs> into our first podcast recording. For sure. For um, sure. I have actually so many questions about that. One of the follow-ups, so, so tell me, like, what was the timeline on your adding category management to your organization? Was that during the pandemic, post, or were you guys starting that organization before? It was probably a good six months before. The first thing was defining what we wanted those categories to be. And up until that moment, we had uh, about 22 buyers between our two stores. And a lot of what they bought for was what they were passionate about. But it, not, it wasn't efficient because a buyer in one store might have three counterparts in the other because their, their subcategories don't align. So it was herding cats. There was, there was too m many people to get together to make a decision or, or to brainstorm brand in, in a particular category that was important. So... We had to streamline that and we had to basically say, hey, this is what we call the breakfast category. This is what we call the baking category. Either you're in or you're out. Or we had to draw back on the freedoms, if you will, because we had to be more structured. Yeah. So how has bringing in that level of category management really changed the way that you look at your job? Uh, quite a bit. So you have to be able to delegate and trust people. Coaching. I've done a lot more coaching than ever before. I have a lot of conversations. A lot of the meetings aren't scheduled. They're just impromptu conversations. We, it's, we had to find the right people. That was the second hardest part. Defining what we wanted to create was number one, the what, and the who was the second most difficult. Luckily, those four category managers have stayed with us and they're engaged and they love what they're doing. We'll hear more from Thomas later on in the episode, but I can't help but think about that segment and really think about how he Thomas compared COVID to being this like forced innovation on the part of Guido's. And it's true. I just had never really thought about it in those terms. Yeah, I think to summarize it in those words uh, really hit home for me, too, because some of the things that he talked about working with their local distributors that also work with restaurants. You know, all the, the restaurants were closed down and they weren't buying all of this bulk product that was being used by, you know, people in house and consumers. Um, even at the store that I worked at during the pandemic, you know, all the paper and stuff we get, uh, our grocery bags, you know, we have toilet paper that we kept for back of the house. That did not run out. You know, so to hear that Tom, Thomas kind of did some of the same that, that my store did just made me think that, you know, as, as natural food stores and as independents, we're a lot more nimble. Like we can do things that the big box stores can't. Like my store had individual, like we didn't have 12 packs. We didn't have 24 packs. We didn't have anything fancy. But if you needed a roll to get by, like you could come to the store I worked at and get a roll of toilet paper. Like 
we we were able to to do that and that's something that we would have never thought to work with distributors in that way before so yeah that was forced to be very creative um and to me that was really interesting um what were some other things that you you took away from that well, I have to say, though, it's like as much as I want to build into my grocery buyer interviews for the rest of the year, like what what forced innovation did COVID have you, you know, make happen for your store? I also think I could just ask everyone about toilet paper. I mean, I kind of made a joke. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I made a joke during the interview, but I'm I'm kind of serious. I think any retailer could tell you a story about what happened with toilet paper during COVID and whether it was an innovation on their part or just like a serious pain point or you know, five people decided to cross state lines to go get like a 20 pack from somewhere else just to serve the customer. Again, to your point, something only our like nimble independent retailers are going to do. And I'm going to figure out a way to work that in for innovation. I'm going to figure that out. So yeah. I'm going to share this with you and maybe I'm going to have to post this somewhere. But when toilet paper came back into my store, I took a selfie with it. Yes, yes. Uh, but a customer did too and sent it to their mom. Oh, I'm sure plenty of people <laughs> did. Yeah. It was just like one of those things that it, it was real, man. It was real. And I, I love that he did it organically in the interview, but I also feel like I might have to work that in for 2023. I Again, I, I joke, but it, it was a serious thing. And I bet you that all of our members could tell you a different story about some way they tried to make it happen for their customers, which I feel really inspired by. Yeah, that's amazing. So speaking of customers, I love Jim's whole take. So much insight in Jim's piece as well. Um, but what I was really reflecting on when I was thinking about our theme for this episode and perseverance was the prevalence of wellness, you know, on the front mm. of products, coming into the grocery shelves a little bit more. It's really interesting to think about perseverance from the customer perspective. Yeah, I think we all have our own story of perseverance. We, you know, when we think of us as as the retailer group, like we obviously had to persevere. You know, it was something that we didn't get to choose to stay home. Like we were working in the stores, we had to. Um, but everyone has their story of perseverance. So I think I think that's really good to to reflect on that and and to see that in people's shopping habits. Um, and to, oh, absolutely. And to see that come through in consumer insights. Um, yeah, I think you referenced when we were chatting before too of like how is this going to transition to 2023 and then beyond? Like, are these trends we're going to continue to see? Yeah. And I think I'm going to specifically ask Jim if he could, you know, kind of use wellness as a thread line to see, are we are we still seeing this in 2023? Is this a consumer behavior that maybe Angela can stop referencing 2019 about? And we could really consider that kind of an interesting baseline going forward. I'm really interested to hear more from him soon. Yeah, me too. Well, I want to go into our next section here. Coming up is my conversation with Andy and Kate from the Infra Purchasing team. I'm really excited about this conversation. First, we have a word from our sponsor. My name is Sandra Carter. I'm one of the founders of Own Mushroom Superfood. We're located here in Carlsbad, California, where we grow 11 species of mushrooms in a completely controlled growing environment. That means we can optimize all the growing conditions and we have a full life cycle, the mycelium stage and the fruit body stage, which gives you all of the bioactive compounds in our final product. Our products are non-GMO, they're certified organic, they're kosher, they're gluten-free. What do we do with these great mushrooms? Well, our team has created some just amazing products. Uh, one of our latest products is a protein powder. It's got 10 species of mushrooms, 20 grams of plant-based protein, and some adaptogens as well. And so you get a complete serving of mushrooms as well as a complete serving of protein. 
great to add to your daily routine. So thanks so much for listening and please check us out at ownmushroom.com. I'd like to welcome Andy Huth, Purchasing Manager, and Kate Fletcher, Senior Category Manager to our segment, Retail Talk. Andy has worked at Infra for a total of five years and prior to that worked in natural foods retail for decades, both as a buyer and manager, and also on the distribution side. Kate has been with Infra for 13 years and prior to that worked in natural foods retail, also on the brand and broker side, and on the distribution side of natural foods. Hello, Andy and Kate. How are you doing today? Hi, Chris. Good, Chris. How are you? Good, thanks. Okay, so to get into this conversation, uh, we know throughout the pandemic, retailers have had to pivot in many ways and were forced to rethink how they do business. Staying with our theme of persevering through the pandemic, what do you think are important things for retailers to focus on going into 2023? Kate, let's start with you. Wow. Well, um, yeah, the pandemic has taught us anything. I think it's taught us patience and how to be flexible and to develop and maintain strong communication channels with all of the people you work with. And uh, I know we have really done that over the last few years with the pandemic. Planning out promotions uh, seven months ahead of time leads us to having to be able to pivot if we need to, having to be flexible, and also to understand that there are lots of things that are out of our control. And how do we best do what we need to do to maintain everyday business? Right. Yeah, Andy, what are your thoughts on that? Well, those are some great points. And the the fact is that, that shopper budgets are being constrained. And I see it kind of as the duty and responsibility of a retailer to provide solutions. And I think people are trying to feed their family and stay within their means. And if a retailer can help them do that, then you really build a lot of loyalty. And that, that's an important thing. And promotions in that kind of environment are really, really critical. The, the low price points can help move more product for sure. Uh, they help fill your customers' baskets. But in addition to that, they, they build a perception with your customer that they can come to you and do all of their shopping because you have opportunity. So it both, both builds uh, sales and loyalty among your customer base. Yeah, that, that's so right. And, and I think from my time of being a category manager at Infra too, like looking into brand data, looking through spins, looking at brand rank, seeing how consumers are responding to things on sale now more than ever, I think is is really interesting. And we're seeing that in consumer insight data and things like that. What do you guys feel are some of the other things that are really impacting uh, retailers in that realm? Well, and inflation is not only hitting consumers, but hitting retailers, I think, in, in every aspect of their business right now between the, you know, uh, staff wages and, and uh, all the other costs involved in running a store. It's hard to balance that, all of those increases, along with trying to lower prices on the products and maintaining your margins at store level to keep your business running, I think. Yeah, it's that and trying to maintain that price perception throughout this because, yeah, those prices are rising, costs are rising. How do we then as retailers try to address that price perception, which which has been a challenge for us for decades, right? It, People feel like we're too expensive, but but that's not always the case. But what are other things people can do to kind of combat that? Andy, do you have any thoughts? 
Well, beyond the price, I think retailers should look at both the, the pandemic supply chain issues and the current uh, price inflation issues as opportunities to build loyalty with their customers. I think the idea is to be their solution. So rather than seeing it as a challenge, I think embrace it and show customers that you are their solution. This is a time really to win customers with your pricing uh, and with your communication, as Kate pointed out, uh, not a time to worry about losing them. It's a time to grab them. Right. So uh, one thing that has come up too is refocusing on like an EDLP program. Like what are you guys' thoughts on how retailers should engage at that level? Can that really help with price perception? Is it is it promotions that really do that? Is it a combination of? How do you guys see that working together? Well, I, th I think promos are great for temporary price perception, right? Especially on certain branded items that people are looking for. But if you want, if you want to really build the perception amongst your customers that you are a solution for them every day, week in, week out, an EDLP, an everyday low price program is really the long-term solution that you need. Uh, and that really works in combination with a promotional or a high-low program. Um, and it gives your customers a good, better, best option. It gives them the number of options on the shelf that are going to meet their needs, both in terms of quality and price. But again, back to the opportunity that I was referring to, the high-low strategy in combination with a strong EDLP strategy um, really make this time perfect for a retailer to capitalize on those. Yeah, and I think for EDLP items in particular, looking for those items that are what we would call pantry items, high-moving, fast-moving items, you can take a lower margin on those items because you're moving more product. So hitting a lower price point and moving more and creating that price perception for your consumers is a win. Totally. Yeah. And and I mean, I know that the three of us shop in natural, like how do, how do you guys respond to EDLP? Like, is that something you buy when you guys go out shopping? Is that something you're interested in? Or um, do you guys go to that better or that best? Or do you do a combination of like, how do you guys shop? I'm one of those shoppers that would do a combination. I like going shopping to look for the best price on the things I buy whenever, every time I go to the store. But I'm also looking for the special things that I need where I'm not so concerned about price. I just need those items. So for me, going to my local natural food store and knowing that I'm going to get a canned tomato and or canned beans or eggs, something that, that I buy every single time I go to a store, at a good price allows me to spend more on those other items that I need that I know are going to be a little more expensive. That's really great to hear. A Andy, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I want the best product at the best price for the most part. <laughs> um, and I think that's the solution every retailer needs to provide. And that would provide exactly what Kate's looking for. And that's kind of a general statement, but you don't want to be a low price store that's set selling low quality items. You want to be a, a store that's selling high quality items at the best price. That's a general statement, but that's the sweet spot. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, it, it's the, in the good, better, best, the good doesn't have to be less quality, right? It just has to be good, better, best in the realm of price and, and affordability and that really coming down to that value. Awesome. Was there anything else that you guys wanted to uh, chat about in the realm of this conversation? No, I would say seize the opportunity. I, <laughs> I agree. Uh, consumers, I mean, everybody's struggling right now and I think everyone appreciates being able to afford good quality food at an affordable price for their family. Awesome. 
Well, thanks, Andy and Kate, for this discussion and the importance of having both a robust promotions program and an EDLP program to help us as retailers stay relevant and to do what we can to help our customers feed their families. I appreciate you both being here today. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Chris, I just loved that interview with Kate and Andy, but I'm curious, you know, after you wrapped it up, like what what were the impressions you were left with? To me, it's like as a retailer, I think I already took for granted having a promotional program and, and at the store I was at having an EDLP in place, but to really listen to Kate and Andy and how they shop, right? And really hearing from someone who has been in the industry, but is also still a natural food shopper. I love that. I listened to that interview and I too kind of thought like, it's so interesting having been in an industry for so long and kind of wondering like, what do you even see anymore? Like, what do you not see? Because you have, you know, put yourself in particular focus areas. And to hear two industry veterans really talk about just like the the programmatic basics. Uh-huh. And I, I don't know. I mean, I love the way you said this to me earlier. Was it, it's not data driven, it's data. Data informed. Data informed, right. You know, like again, coming up to 2019, you know, we had great data. We had consumer trend information that could really be predictive. And with kind of all of that falling away, having two people give you kind of their gut check on like foundational programs, you know, promotions and EDLP, but also just like personal shopping insight. Like I just, I thought that was very insightful and interesting. I love that we really dug in and kind of talked about this on the side. I think this is good for people to hear is, you know, people are so proud about being data driven. Like I follow the data. I do what the data says. But I love too, like what Andy and Kate said, you know, really about getting into their gut and going with kind of their gut and their feeling about things about having that experience. Data driven is using the data, using your gut, having all of the context that isn't a part of data to make really good decisions. And to me, I think that's so important to have context because even when you're looking at sales movement data, that doesn't tell you, was it out of stock for a week or a month or a year? So you can't tell if something's performed well. And Thomas touches on some of this stuff too, when you guys are talking, uh, even just about like how he organizes sets, which I think is is awesome. Uh, yes, I feel like any one of our members is going to know their customer beyond a sales report, which I love. And I feel like it's the reason that we'll all still have jobs and robots won't take over. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Ro- <laughs> ro- ro- robots don't have the context that we have. They, unless robots get guts. Yeah. Um, yeah. If robots can get to go with their gut. Oh, I'm, I'm sure there's like a, a lab-grown meat joke I could make there, but uh, moving on. <laughs> <Didn't>. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm really excited for the the next segment we have coming up uh, with my interview from Denise at Partake. Uh, I'm so excited. As soon as we finished this interview, they were announced as Nosh.com's 2022 brand of the year, which to me was so exciting to see. So I was really, really happy to be able to talk to Denise and then to see them get the accolades right afterwards was uh, I just felt really good for, for her and her team. Uh, super exciting. Uh, I felt like they deserved that solely on the basis of my personal love for their birthday cake cookie. Um, and I knew a little bit about her story, but listening to her dive into it, I cannot say that I, I mean, it's very, very, very well, well deserved. Excited to hear it again. Yep. Here we go. Hello, Denise. Welcome to the Buyer's Desk. It's so great to have you here, and I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Hi, Chris. So nice to meet you. I'm excited for our conversation. Yeah, likewise. So let's start off with the folks that don't know you. I know you have a pretty powerful story for starting your business. Can you tell us that story and what was really that defining moment to take this journey? Sure thing. So 
I had spent my career in consumer packaged goods, loved what I was doing, had plans to work my way up the corporate ladder. And my daughter, Vivian, who's seven now, right around her first birthday, we learned that she's allergic to eggs and corn and tree nuts and bananas. And I was really frustrated with the options that I could find for her. Um, They either didn't meet her taste buds or my nutritional standards. And then most of all, started to think about the emotional impact that having food allergies would have on her, how she wouldn't be able to confidently participate in so many birthday parties and play dates and celebrations. And while there were brands that were providing a safe solution, I wanted to create an inclusive brand that people with and without food allergies would be excited about and could enjoy safely um, and really enjoy the taste of. And that's how the idea for Partake was born. Excellent. Your product has had a pretty warm reception from retailers, both big and small. And that is quite an accomplishment. There's there's really few entrepreneurs that can see that vision come to fruition. What has that been like for you? Um, a bit surreal. And I'm definitely full of gratitude for all the retailers, big and small, that have taken uh, a chance on our brand. We started out in really small baby steps. I launched the brand in August of 2017, selling cookies out of my car to natural food stores in the New York City market. And I did that for a year and I'm forever grateful to those stores that gave me a shot one by one. Um, And then large retailers as well who have been willing to take us chain wide. And and right now you can find us in about 10,000 doors around the country, but it's surreal. I feel like it's a a privilege and and it comes with a lot of responsibility to help other founders in this ecosystem and to do my part in making the food system more inclusive than it currently is. Well, that's great. It makes me think too, like, it's obviously not easy. You talk about gratitude. What what were some of your challenges in that road of even starting this company up? So many challenges, Chris. Um, some of the biggest ones, funding. So right now, Black women start companies at a faster rate than any other group in the country, yet we receive less than 0.2% of venture capital funding. Um, we've raised nearly $20 million for Partake um, from industry executives, from some pretty cool folks like Jay-Z and Rihanna. Um, so getting people to to believe in what I was doing and believe in want to invest in the business was definitely really challenging. We got nearly 100 no's before one person said yes. And thankfully, the first yes came from Marcy Venture Partners, which is Jay-Z's venture fund. Um, so that was a big challenge. You know, building out the team, particularly in this like COVID-esque environment, when we went into 2020, I was the only full-time employee of the company. And now we're 20 people. And how do you build an organization where employees are engaged and passionate and feel valued and respected all over Zoom. And so like figuring that piece out, um, the manufacturing is hard on its own as an allergy-friendly brand combined with the supply chain issues that have racked the the grocery industry for the past couple of years. Like it's been, a, it's been an interesting time. Yeah, no doubt about that. And I think the, the buyers and, and the store staff that are listening to this feel that a lot of the same ways. Speaking of the in-store staff, for those independent retailers who haven't brought in Partake yet, why should they bring in Partake? What do you want buyers to know about this product? So we, the product tastes great. Um, the product is made with simple, better-for-you ingredients. It can be enjoyed by nearly everyone. And we're finding that in our consumer group, half, half feed allergies, half don't, half are parents, half aren't. Like there's so many customers who can be served by our products, whether it's parents who need a school safe snack, even if their kids don't have food allergies, whether it's somebody who has very severe food allergies, um, whether it's somebody who's experimenting with a gluten free or plant based diet. And 
with the support that our brand receives as our brand continues to grow, we are so committed to doing good in the world. And so as our business grows, I think the positive impact that we have in the world, particularly around increasing diversity in the food industry and reducing childhood food insecurity, like that impact will only grow as our business grows. Wow. I, you guys are doing such great work. I can't wait to see how big this company can grow and the impact that you'll have in both the communities and the food system. So lastly, for those folks and those independent retailers who have partake on the shelf, do you have any tips for the store staff to sell the product? You know, when they're talking to their customers that come in every day, what can they say? How can they help you? Sure thing. So some of the product attributes that we're proud of are the great taste. The products are all gluten-free. They're all certified vegan. They're all non-GMO project verified. They're all free of the top nine allergens. So over 90% of people can eat them safely. We are a woman-led, minority-owned company that's committed to making the world a better place. Um, And so those are some of the reasons that I I hope customers will choose our brand. Excellent. I know I've chosen it. Thank you. Probably down more boxes than I should, but I love it. I think the product is great. My wife agrees too, so we really enjoy it. Thank you so much, Chris. Well, thanks, Denise, for your time today to take a deeper dive into your brand and to really what our partnership means to you. So I appreciate that. I appreciate the partnership. I appreciate every single person that's in the stores, getting the product on the shelves, selling the products. If there's ever a way that Partake can be a better partner to Infra. Like we are here for that. Um, and we appreciate your business and your support. Awesome. Thanks, Denise. Take care. Thanks, Chris. Oh, I so enjoyed that conversation with Denise. She is so amazing. The work that she's doing um, and how she's really impacting the food system and the local communities. That's just, oh my God, I just I could talk to her for so much longer. I, we had to cut that a little short. I, I could continue to listen as well. You know, the one thing that really struck me is that I am, I have allergies. I'm, I'm gluten-free. And I never thought of it as an inclusion or like an access issue until she said it so succinctly about her daughter. And I just, um, just so inspired by the work she's doing. For people to, like Denise, to make an impact in people's lives is, is huge. Um, I'm also excited about the interview that I have coming up next month. So talk about February. Our theme is regenerative agriculture. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be uh, some pretty intense conversations, I'd imagine. But the interview I have with Paul Lightfoot, the GM of Patagonia Provisions, is amazing. So I'm excited for everyone to hear that. You haven't even heard it yet, Angela. I have not, but I am also excited. I remember launching Patagonia Provisions and just being excited about the line. So awesome. Yeah, totally. So I, I'm excited for people to, to to hear that. And we do have some really good conversations geared up uh, for y'all to listen to. All right. Speaking of awesome conversations, I am thrilled to give us, I just, sorry, Chris, I just had to try to find another word that excited because I feel like I've just been so excited this whole episode, but I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to work on that episode two, three, four, and all of the above. Uh, but anyway, I really am excited to present the second part of our interview with Thomas Barstow. But first, a word from our sponsors. My name is Daniel Caballero. I am the co-founder of Fios, along with my brother Antonio. 
Uh, we started the company to bring the traditional foods of our childhood to market in a remixed modern way, a way that fits with a modern lifestyle. Our latest innovation are walking tamales. It's a tamal that you can eat on the go. Enjoy it for hikes, bikes, morning commutes. You can eat it as a snack, as a meal, and it mixes very well with other things like Tia Lupita Sasa Matcha. If you want to learn more about the product and the brand, uh, you can find us at our website and on our Instagram feed. Instagram handle is at Fios Foods. Our website is www.fios.com. Hi, my name is Hector Saldivar and I'm the founder of Tia Lupita Foods. We are a better for you Mexican inspired food brand that uses clean, simple ingredients in all of our products. And I'm super excited to talk to you guys about Tia Lupita Salsa Matcha. Salsa Matcha is the condiment that you didn't know you needed. It's the Mexican version of chili oil, chili crunch, chili crisp. This condiment is the most versatile. You can put it on top of salads. You can use it as a marinade. You can drizzle it as a topping or even as a hot sauce. It goes great with Filio's walking tamales. And if you want to learn more, please visit us at tialupitafoods.com. Thank you so much. your structure just kind of speaks to the uniqueness because we have a lot of members that don't have the category manager level. I heard you reference pricing a little bit previously, like you lean on them heavily for pricing. Do you still feel like you uh, have an active role in like your promotional buying strategy then? I actually am still in charge of the promotions. We generate margin reports. So we have perpetual inventory and uh, computer generated order ordering they can use a little bit of their own art within that. So they have a certain category and that we want to achieve a certain margin. And within that, they could price something from $329 down to $299. So they can do that with their own freedom. And just once in a while, I'll go in and see if it seems like they're making good choices. But for the most part, I rely on them with the understanding of our niche, what our competitors sell and what their price points are, and uh, give them the autonomy to do that. So I just kind of peek in a little bit and have a few conversations with the promotions. So we still meet with brokers, about 14 different brokers each month. And the category managers can deal directly with the brokers in terms of, I want a free fill for this brand, these SKUs in this store, these SKUs in the other store. But they, they all know that when it comes to a promotion, if I need to ne negotiate something to be on our flyer for a certain period of time, I'll do that. We have another person that helps to structure the case stacks and submit them into turnover. I know some companies are even more sophisticated than we are. I like Kimberton Whole Foods has, has a great sophisticated strategy for that which we uh, might want to emulate as we go forward. But it's about picking the low-hanging fruit first. What I'd love to see category managers do is doing their own scouting and analyses. And we do have meetings every six weeks with all the category managers and, and myself and, and the leadership team. What that is right now is still kind of like putting out some fires, streamlining things, how we communicate, do we have enough support? We have something called accountability buddies, which is something I stole from South Park. So the category managers, they all want to have that one stalker in each store that's a one-to-one -one ratio. I want in the future the category managers to presenting spreadsheets of here's my analysis of this subcategory and what our supermarket co-op competitor, what they're selling, how they're merchandising it. And these are fun conversations to have. They want to be at the point where they can do that. It's still a tough time for labor, for finding the right folks. It's even more important to create attractive positions 
that you'll earn that loyalty from your team. So they'll stay with you. Oh, so much there. I um, I love all of the interesting influences from Kimberton Whole Foods to South Park. But that was an amazing answer. Uh, I, I'm really interested, too. So you brought in these category managers. I've actually heard you tell me a few times, like, I've given them freedom here, but I've given them guardrails here. Have you also given them, like, imparted a little bit of your, like, overarching buyer philosophy? Like, how would you sum that up? So number one, know your niche and differentiate. I like to take the category managers to field trips, to food shows, do a lot of research for products. Uh, we taste the products together. We spend a lot of time in meetings and, and talking about this. So you don't want to be too aggressive in your labor efficiency. I feel like it's wise to invest in the labor and not to worry about, I have too much on the payroll this week. It's the wrong thing to focus on. I mean, we have to focus on how we maximize margin and sales and labor efficiency and how those all play together is, is the art of what I do and what others do. And a lot depends on what you're selling, who your competitors are and what your community is demanding. So you have to listen to your community. You have to listen to your customers and you have to listen to your staff. So I worked in the supermarket industry where there was a real disconnect and people were there. They didn't like their jobs. They were there to make some money. Your department is filled with people that like what they're doing and feel like they're treated fairly, have clarity of purpose every day. I think you need that as a foundation before you can worry about tweaking margins here and cutting costs there. So that's the philosophy. We like to churn and cull um, every subcategory twice a year. We want to be bringing in new items a lot. That's very difficult. So you could either just reset the whole store every year or you could churn. It's a four foot section usually, could be an eight foot section. It's usually a four foot section. And twice a year, you want to address it and fix those little things that happened throughout the course of the last six months and hopefully get something from the top or bottom shelf to eye level to just get more exposure or increase the facings of something. Of course, always looking at movement, but also it's not just movement because the movement might be poor because of the product placement. Some of it has to be done on faith. And you want the person making the decisions on faith, someone that has a bit of experience and has been to the food shows and, and has been to our competitors. Everyone has a bias. It's great to have these impromptu meetings and, and get three or four viewpoints. We do it all the time. The owners used to be more dictatorial and now they're much more about brainstorming and getting some brilliant people in the room and just throwing around ideas. And most of the ideas ultimately win are spread around the whole room. Doesn't matter what your job title is. So you have to have one person that makes a decision. You can't just kick the can down the road. Giving everyone a voice when you don't choose their idea, if you can articulate why in the context of what we're trying to do as a team in our community, usually you'll still get their respect. Oh, I love that so much. Again, Thomas, all of your answers, there's just so much there. It's like niche, churn, feedback and communication. Love it. Another thing we do, we ask more of our distributors. That's sort of new for us in the last few years. So I don't want to waste time with brokers showing me the same brands they've showed me for the last five meetings. So I'm, I'm more strict with them. What I ask them to do is if they're going to present to me an item that they know is in uh, big box stores before they come to the meeting, go to Stop and Shop next door in one of our stores and, and Big Y right next to us in the other store and tell me what they're selling that you're going to present to me and what their pricing is. Let them do the work so that it's not me that has to send a picture of what I see when I'm out and about. And hey, how come I can't compete on the price of Chobani oat milk? Because oftentimes they'll know I'm going to say no, so they won't present it to me. So we don't waste each other's time. I love that. So was there any question that I did not ask you today that you would love to address? 
in closing, I, w- I would say invest in your people. So a wise person once told me that a wise person once told him that the best way to succeed in business is to hire people that are smarter than you, pay them as much as you can and let them do their job. It's great when your boss tells you that. <laughs> invest in your people. Uh, really appreciate your time today. Again, that was Thomas Barstow from Greedo's Fresh Marketplace in Great Barrington, Massachusetts. Thanks again, Thomas. I look forward to connecting with you again. Thank you. My pleasure, Angela. Take care. Take care. Well, folks, that's it for this episode of The Buyer's Desk. Thanks to Angela for co-hosting. And I appreciate the contributions from Infra staff, Infra members, and Infra vendors for helping to make this episode happen. I appreciate all of you who listened this far, and I hope to see you next month for another episode.